Due to the extreme nature of this program, listeners' discretion is advised. The subject matters may include topics of substance usage, sex, foul language, and references to historical events that may be sensitive to some listener. Things discussed may not be considered politically correct in this overly sensitive environment. They may not be appropriate for listeners under the age of 13. As well as some listeners, no matter the age, may find things offensive. Again, listener discretion is advised. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to GXO, another episode of Generation Extraordinary, the podcast nobody asked for, focusing on everything pop culture from the greatest generation ever, Generation X. So if it happened between 1960 and 1999, we're going to discuss it like movies, music, TV, and even a bit of history from that year. Who knows? You may just learn something before it's done. And if you're lucky, this old man may just regale you with a story or two from his own life and experiences. I'm Robert Pop, your host, coming to you from beautiful Podunk, Nebraska. Howdy, folks and fellow Americans. This here is William Jefferson Davis Beauregard Everhart. But you know me as Hillbilly Willie. I'm here to tell you that I've decided I'm going to run for president. I mean, I can't do any worse than what we've already been dealing with. My campaign is going to be based on one thing, and that's honesty. You may not like what I have to say, but unlike other candidates, I ain't going to beat around the bush, so to speak. Another difference is that I ain't going to be taking no payoffs from no lobbyists or big business. Instead, we're going to fund this campaign through a GoFundMe account. So you can rest assured, I'm not going to cave into some special interest group because of a large donation. Follow me and find out where I stand on the important issues. I'm Hillbilly Willing. You're damn right I approve this message. Welcome to this week's episode of GXO, Generation Extraordinary, the podcast nobody asked for. So this week, we are going to be traveling back in time, actually over the next several weeks. We're going to be going back to the 90s. We're going to see how cause and effects happened. Uh, so we're going to start in 1992, which would be the topic for the day is going to be the Ruby Ridge incident. So taking us back to our history lesson, 1992, world leaders were in Soviet Union. Boris Yeltsin, you don't know enough people named Boris. I think I need to I need to expand my horizon. Here in the United States, we had King George I, and then in the United Kingdom, Prime Minister John Major. By the way, those that uh, are new to the show, yes, I refer to President George H. W. Bush as King George I, and George W. as King George II. So... Now you're up to speed. Top headlines for that year is going to be John Gotti was sentenced to life in prison for murder and racketeering. Cartoon Network launches and was great for a long time. And then they changed it. And it sucks now. Mall of America opened in Minneapolis. Ross Perot runs for president, but did not win because Bill Clinton became president. The FDA urges not to use silicone breast implants anymore. 
Windsor Castle has a fire, and many works of art and books were destroyed. Los Angeles riots after four officers were acquitted in the L.A. beating of Rodney King with his pleas of, can't we just all get along? Prince Charles and Princess Diana, they separate. 172 various nations address issues of environmental protection and sustainable development at the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. Some sign binding agreements to minimize global climate change and preserve biodiversity. However, the U.S. refused to sign and from my research, it looks like this was a decision by King George I, and all speculation points to, you guessed it, money. So, once again, the environment pays the check for, quote-unquote, economic growth. My own little soapbox there. Johnny Carson, king of late night for over 20 years, he hosted his show for the last time. 1992 also saw where Bush pardoned former Reagan administration officials involved in the Iran-Contra affair. Big surprise. You know, they learned from Ford and Nixon. McDonald's decided that it was time to make the Chinese just as fat as the Americans and opened its first McDonald's in Beijing. TWA Airlines declared bankruptcy. And Mike Tyson was convicted of the rape of Miss Black Rhode Island. Desiree Washington. Notable deaths that year. Alex Haley, author of Roots, died. Anthony Perkins, that would be uh, Norman Bates from, uh, from Psycho. He passed away. And going to play that funky music, Mr. Lawrence Wilk. Here comes the bubble machine right now. Yes, I was one of these children that was forced every Saturday night to watch Lawrence Wilk. However, on a side note, I do want to say it was really kind of cool to find out that my grandfather was a bodyguard for Lawrence Welk. Now, I don't know what blew my mind more. First off, that my grandfather was a bodyguard or Lawrence Welk needed a bodyguard. Huh, go figure. In music, top five songs in the U.S. Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot. End of the Road by Boys to Men. Just Another Day by John Sakata, Baby, Baby, Baby by TLC, and Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams. Top five songs in the UK, Shakespeare's Sister with Stay, Snap had Rhythm as a Dancer, Boys to Men, End of the Road, KWS, Please Don't Go. And right said Fred, deeply dippy. Hmm, I'm not sure exactly what that means. Top five songs on the R&B chart. We had Whitney Houston with I Will Always Love You from The Bodyguard. Boys to Men, End of the Road. Vanessa Williams, Save the Best for Last. Keith Sweat. I liked Keith Sweat, to be honest with you. Weird name. Good music. Keep it coming. And Peebo Bryson and Regina Bell with A Whole New World, and that was the theme from Aladdin. Top five songs on the country chart. Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh, God. <sighs> Achy, breaky heart. That was not. No. No, no. 
no. Yeah, and maybe it's just the Cyruses themselves because I can't stand Miley either. You know, um, I guess when she was on Disney, you know, my kids watched it. It was like, man, okay, you know, oh, her dad, you know, she got her dad a job. That's cool. Um, and then, you know, about the last and only song that I even like from her is Party with the Big Douchebag. Um, so, yeah, wow. Brooks and Dunn was doing some boot scootin' boogie, and I have always sang that for my dogs as butt scootin' boogie whenever they f- try and fight me for the good spot on the carpet. Garth Brooks, what's she doing now? Colin Ray, Love Me, that's a beautiful song. And Winona, No One Else on Earth. In the bookstore, The Pelican Brief, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, and all others are from Uranus. The English Patient, Band of Brothers, Awaken the Giants Within, Bridges of Madison County, Ishmael, God, I hated that. I mean, I think it probably could have been a really good story, but when they turned it into a movie, they cast Warren Beatty, and it just, no, I just, no. Uh, Dolores Claiborne, and the general's daughter. In the movie theater, we had Candyman. The Candyman can. Aladdin. Single white female. The hand that rocks the cradle. Wayne's world. It's Wayne's world. Party on. It's Wayne's world. Sister act. A few good men. You can't handle the truth. Beethoven. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There was no crying in baseball in a league of their own. Mighty Ducks. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Malcolm X. Army of Darkness. Basic Instinct. Scent of a Woman. Batman Returns. That wasn't too bad. You know, as far as they got really bad after that. Because that was, of course, the last one with Michael Keaton. And then... You know, we had to live through the whole comic book era with Val Kilmer and George Clooney. And ugh, those were not, no, those were not good. Uh, but then, of course, then we moved on to uh, Christian Bale. He was a great Batman. I actually, and I'm not a Ben Affleck fan. I don't think the guy can act to save his life. But he did a really good job as Batman. The house sitter. The Lawnmower Man. That was a fucked up movie. Uh, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. And Hoffa. That was a great, that was a great movie. That was a great biopic. On TV, we were watching Batman the Animated Series. Melrose Place. No, I didn't watch that. Mad About You. As Time Goes By. Martin. It's Martin. Martin. Oh, I should never do that ever again. Highlander, because there can be only one. Absolutely Fabulous, or Abfab, and that was from the United Kingdom. X-Men animated series. Young Indiana Jones, hanging with Mr. Cooper. Renegade. Oh, God. Barney. Oh, you know, I am so glad that Barney is gone. For the most part, I you don't see or hear anything about him anymore. But, you know, I had to live through that. And my kids with 
baby bebop or whatever the hell that little green dinosaur's name was god they were all just and the yellow one probably was the most annoying one of all of them and they were all really fucking annoying so anyway another soapbox forever night big comfy couch ben stiller show bueller 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 yes that's who that was if you aren't sure who ben stiller is uh, Hearts of Fire, Beekman's World, I think that was supposed to be the next generation of Bill Nye the Science Guy, or Mr. Wizard, maybe it was in between the two, Lamb Chops Play Along, Goof Troop, and of course the topic for today, Ruby Ridge Incident, so stick around after these words from my fake sponsors. Hello ladies, look at your man, do you see him as a manly man? A lumberjack type, or a guy who likes to frolic through fields of daisies chasing butterflies. Sadly, too many women would say the latter. But if he stopped using lady-scented body wash and switched to sledgehammer body products for men, he could at least smell like a man's man. And that's a good place to start. Sledgehammer body products? That's how good this shit is. By no one. The views and opinions expressed are just that. Rob's views and opinions. He's not always politically correct, and those views may not match up with your own. Please believe me, it is not his intention to offend anyone. Hopefully you find the shows entertaining and informative as well. Please note, Rob is not a professional historian, but he has done a lot of research for this show. With that being said, mistakes happen, but he will do his best to minimize those. Keep in mind, he's just some nut with a microphone. Ruby Ridge was the site of an 11-day siege in 1992 in Idaho. It began on August 21st when deputies of the U.S. Marshals came to arrest Randy Weaver after his failure to appear on federal firearms charges. Randy Weaver, a former Iowa factory worker and U.S. Army soldier, moved with his wife and four children to northern Idaho during the 1980s so they could homeschool his children and escape what he and his wife Vicki saw as a corrupted world. In 1984, Randy Weaver and his neighbor Terry Kinnison had a dispute over a $3,000 land deal. Kinnison lost the ensuing lawsuit. Kinnison wrote letters to the FBI, the Secret Service, and the county sheriff, in which he alleged that Weaver had threatened to kill Pope John Paul II, President Ronald Reagan, and Idaho Governor John V. Evans. In January 1985, the FBI and the Secret Service launched an investigation into these allegations. On February 12th, Weaver and his wife were interviewed by two FBI agents, two Secret Service agents, and the Boundary County Sheriff and his chief investigator. The Secret Service had been told that Weaver was a member of Aryan Nations and that he had a large weapons cache at his residence. Weaver denied these allegations, and the government filed no charges. On three or four occasions, the Weavers had attended Aryan Nations meetings at Hayden Lake, where there was a compound for government resistors and white supremacists. The investigation noted that Weaver associated with Frank Kumnick, who was known to associate with members of Aryan Nations. Weaver told the investigators that neither he nor Kumnick was a member of Aryan Nations. On February 28th, 
Weaver filed an affidavit with the county courthouse alleging that their personal enemies were plotting to provoke the FBI into attacking and killing the Weaver family. On May 6th, the Weavers sent President Reagan a letter claiming that their enemies may have sent Reagan a threatening letter under a forged signature. No evidence of such a letter surfaced. But in 1992, the prosecutor cited the 1985 letter as an overt act of the Weaver family conspiracy against the federal government. The ATF first became aware of Weaver in July 1986, when he was introduced to a confidential ATF informant at a meeting at the World Aryan Congress. In October 1989, the ATF claimed that Weaver sold the informant two sawed-off shotguns, with the overall length of the guns shorter than the limit set by federal law. In November 1989, Weaver accused the ATF informant of being a spy for the police. In June 1990, ATF attempted to use the sawed-off shotgun charge as leverage to get Weaver to act as an informant for his investigation into Aryan nations. Weaver refused to become a snitch, and the ATF filed the gun charges in June 1990. A federal grand jury indicted Weaver in December 1990 for making and possessing, but not selling, weapons in October 1989. The ATF concluded it would be too dangerous for agents to arrest Weaver at his property. In January 1991, ATF agents posed as broken-down motorists and arrested Weaver when he and Vicki stopped to assist. Weaver was told of the charges against him, released on bail, and told that his trial would begin on February 19, 1991. When Weaver did not appear in court on February 20th and the judge issued a bench warrant for failure to appear in court, turns out... Weaver did not show in court on February 20th because the letter his probation officer sent him had an incorrect date. Upon finding a copy of the letter, the chief probation officer contacted the judge's clerk and informed them of the incorrect date in the letter. The chief PO also contacted the U.S. Marshals and Weaver's attorney, informing them both of the error. Judge Ryan, however, refused to withdraw the bench warrant. The U.S. Marshals agreed to put off executing the warrant until after March 20th in order to see whether Weaver would show up in court on that day. If he were to show up on March 20th, the Department of Justice claimed that all indications are that the warrant would have been dropped, but instead the U.S. Attorney's Office called a grand jury on March 14th. The attorney's office did not inform the grand jury of the letter, and the grand jury issued an indictment for failure to appear. When the Weaver case passed from the ATF to the U.S. Marshal Service, no one informed the marshals that the ATF had attempted to solicit Weaver as an informant. As the law enforcement arm of the federal court, the USMS were responsible to arrest and bring in Weaver, now considered a fugitive. Weaver simply stayed in his remote home, threatening to resist any attempt to take him by force. USMS officers made a series of attempts to have Weaver surrender peacefully, but he refused to leave his cabin. Although marshals stopped the negotiations as ordered, they made other contact. 
On March 4, 1992, U.S. Marshals drove to the Weaver property and spoke with Weaver, posing as real estate prospects. The assumptions of federal and some state and local law enforcement personnel about Weaver, that he was a Green Beret, that he would shoot on sight anyone who attempted to arrest him, that he had collected certain types of arms, that he had booby-trapped and tunneled his property, exaggerated the threat he posed. In an investigation after the events of Ruby Ridge revealed that Weaver had never been a Green Beret or a member of the Special Forces following a flyover by a hired helicopter for Geraldo Rivera's Now It Can Be Told television show. On April 18, 1992, the USMS received media reports that Weaver had shot at the helicopter. Marshal Mays reported seeing a helicopter near the Weaver property, but not that any shots were heard. Weaver denied that anyone had fired at the helicopter. When interviewed by the FBI, the helicopter pilot Richard Weiss said that Weaver had not fired on his helicopter. When the indictment of Weaver was presented to the grand jury, the prosecution had evidence that no shots had been fired at the helicopter. Media reports that Weaver had fired on the Rivera helicopter became part of the justification later cited by U.S. Marshal Wayne Duke Smith and FBI HRT Commander Richard Rogers in drawing up the Ruby Ridge Rules of Engagement on August 21, 1992. Also, in spite of Weiss's repeated denials that shots have been fired at his helicopter, Howen charged that as Overt Act 32 of the Weaver's conspiracy against the federal government, Randy, Vicki, and Harris fired two shots at the Rivera helicopter. On August 21, 1992, six marshals were sent to scout the area to determine suitable places away from the cabin to apprehend an artist Weaver. At one point, they threw two rocks at the Weaver cabin to test the dogs. The Actium provoked the dogs Weaver's friend, Kevin Harris, and Weaver's 14-year-old son, Sammy, emerged and followed the dog Stryker to investigate. Harris and the younger Sam Weaver said that they were hoping the dog had noticed a game animal as the cabin was out of meat. The recon team, Roderick, Cooper, and Deegan, initially retreated through the woods in radio contact with the OP team, but later took up hidden defensive positions. Later, the OP team and the Weavers claimed the dogs were alerted to the recon team in the woods after neighbors at the foot of the mountain started their pickup truck. The recon team retreated through the woods to a Y junction in the trails 500 yards west of the cabin. Out of sight of the cabin, Sammy and Harris followed Stryker on foot through the woods, while Randy, also on foot, took a separate logging trail. Vicki, Sarah, Rachel, and baby Elisheba remained at the cabin. Randy encountered the marshals at the Y. Roderick claimed to have yelled, Back off, U.S. Marshal! Upon sighting Weaver, and Cooper said he had shouted, Stop, U.S. Marshal! By their account, Sammy and Stryker came out of the woods about a minute later. 
when the marshal's position was revealed by Stryker, a yellow lab, Marshal Roderick then shot the dog dead. Seeing this, Sammy Weaver reportedly said to the marshals, You've killed my dog, you son of a bitch! And then shot in the direction of Roderick. Marshal Cooper then shot towards Sammy Weaver and Kevin Harris, who both sought cover. Harris, once finding cover behind a tree stump, then returned fire with one unaimed shot, which killed Marshal Dagan. Sammy Weaver, now retreating up a hill, was then shot in the back and killed by Marshal Cooper. A later ballistics report showed that 19 rounds were fired during the fight. Harris's and the federal agent's accounts differ as to who fired first. Harris asserted self-defense and was acquitted. In the aftermath of the gunfight, Idaho Governor Cecil Andrus declared a state of emergency in Boundary County, allowing use of the Idaho National Guard, Armory, and armored personnel carriers. Soon thereafter, Idaho State Police arrived at the scene. FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. responded by sending the hostage rescue team, HRT, to Idaho. Special agent in charge was appointed site commander with responsibility for all active individuals from the FBI, ATF, and USMS. A standoff ensued for 11 days as several hundred federal agents surrounded the house and negotiations for a surrender were attempted. By Saturday, special rules of engagement were drafted and approved by FBI headquarters and the Marshal Service for use on Ruby Ridge. The Ruby Ridge RO were as follows. If any adult in the area around the cabin is observed with a weapon after the surrender announcement had been made, deadly force could and should be used to neutralize the individual. If any adult male is observed with a weapon prior to the announcement, deadly force can and should be employed if the shot could be taken without endangering any children. Three, if compromised by any dog, the dog can be taken out. Four, any subjects other than Randy Weaver, Vicki Weaver, Kevin Harris presenting threat of death or grievous bodily harm. FBI rules of deadly force apply. Deadly force can be utilized to prevent the death or grievous bodily injury to oneself or that of another. The ROE were communicated to agents on site, including communication to HRT sniper observers prior to deployment. Communications that included the change of adult to adult male to exclude Vicki Weaver. Some deployed FBI agents, in particular the sniper observers, would later describe the adopted ROE as a green light to shoot on sight. Before the negotiators arrived at the cabin, FBI sniper from a position over 200 yards north and above the Weaver cabin shot and wounded Randy Weaver in the back with the bullet exiting his right armpit while he was lifting the latch on the shed to visit the body of his dead son. The sniper testified at the later trial that he had put his crosshairs on Weaver's spine, but Weaver moved at the last second. As Weaver, his 16-year-old daughter Sarah, and Harris ran back toward the house, the sniper fired a second bullet, wounding Harris in the chest. This bullet killed Vicky, who was standing behind the door in the cabin where Harris entered. Vicky was holding the Weaver's 10-month-old baby, Elisheba, 
on Wednesday, August 26th, four days after Vicki was killed. The ROE that had been in effect since the arrival of the HRT was revoked. Per Glenn's direction, the FBI's standard deadly force policy replaced the ROE to guide the law enforcement personnel that were to be deployed to the cabin perimeter. The FBI rules of deadly force, in effect in 1992, stated that agents are not to use deadly force against any person except as necessary in self-defense or the defense of another. When they have reason to believe that they or another are in danger of death or grievous bodily harm, whenever feasible, verbal warnings should be given before deadly force is applied. On about Monday, August 24th, the fourth day of the siege, FBI Deputy Assistant Director Danny Coulson, who did not know that Vicki Weaver had been killed, wrote a memo with the following content. Something to consider. 1. Charge against Weaver is bull. 2. No one saw Weaver do any shooting. 3. Vicki has no charges against her. 4. Weaver's defense. He ran down the hill to see what dog was barking at. Some guys in camouflage shot his dog, started shooting at him, and killed his son. Harris did the shooting. He is in pretty strong legal position. The standoff was ultimately resolved by civilian negotiators to whom Weaver agreed to speak. Through mediation, Harris, who had earlier urged Weaver to end his suffering, surrendered on August 30th. He was removed via stretcher, and then he was flown Sacred Heart Medical Center in Spokane. Weaver allowed the removal of his wife's body. The FBI commander gave a deadline to get the remaining Weavers to surrender. And if they did not surrender on the day of the deadline, he said he would resolve the standoff by launching a tactical assault. Weaver and his daughters surrendered the next day. Both Harris and Weaver were arrested. Weaver's daughters were released to the custody of relatives. Federal officials considered charging Sarah, who was 16, as an adult. Weaver and Harris were charged with a variety of offenses. Their trial in U.S. District Court in Boise began in April 1993, in mid-June. Weaver's defense attorney rested his case without calling any witnesses for the defense, Instead, he sought to convince the jury through cross-examination, which was aimed at discrediting the government's evidence and witnesses. In July, Weaver was ultimately acquitted of all of the charges, except the charge which he incurred after he missed his original court date and the charge of violating his bail conditions, for which he was sentenced to 18 months imprisonment and fined $10,000 in October. Credited with time served and good behavior, Weaver served less than 16 months, and he was released from the Canyon County Jail in mid-December. Harris was defended by attorney David Nevin, and he was acquitted of all of the charges. Exactly five years after the incident, he was indicted for the first-degree murder of Marshall Deegan by Boundary County Prosecutor but the charge was dismissed in early October on grounds of double jeopardy because he had been acquitted of the same charge in the federal criminal trial in 1993. Defense counsels for Weaver and Harris 
alleged throughout their 1993 trial that agents of the ATF, USMS, and FBI were themselves guilty of serious wrongdoing. The Department of Justice, DOJ, created the Ruby Ridge Task Force, RTF, to investigate events. It delivered a 542-page report on June 10, 1994, to the DOJ Office of Professional Responsibility. This RRTF report, originally available in a highly redacted form, later became available in a much more complete form. Questions persisted about Ruby Ridge and the subsequent Waco siege, which involved the same agencies and many of the same officials. The Senate Subcommittee on Terrorism, Technology, and Government Information held 14 days of hearings on these incidents and allegations of misconduct, ending on October 19, 1995. The internal 1994 Ruby Ridge Task Force report and the public 1995 Senate Subcommittee report on Ruby Ridge both criticized the rules of engagement by claiming that they were unconstitutional. In 1997, Michael Cahu, the chief of the FBI's violent crime section, pled guilty to obstruction of justice for destroying a report which was critical of the agency's role at Ruby Ridge. He was sentenced to 18 months and a $4,000 fine. Randy Weaver and his daughters filed a wrongful death suit for $200 million, which was related to the killing of his wife and son. In an out-of-court settlement in August 1995, the federal government awarded Randy Weaver $100,000, and it also awarded $1 million to each of his three daughters. The government did not admit that it had committed any wrongdoing in relation to the deaths of Sammy and Vicki. On the condition of anonymity, a DOJ official told the Washington Post that he believed that the Weavers would have probably won the full amount if the case had gone to trial. The attorney for Harris pressed Harris's civil suit for damages, but federal officials vowed that they would never pay someone who had killed a U.S. Marshal. In September 2000, Harris was awarded a $380,000 settlement by the government. Randy Weaver and his daughter, Sarah, wrote The Federal Siege at Ruby Ridge about the incident, which was published in paperback. The Weaver family, including Randy, later moved to Kalispell, Montana. Sarah and the other two Weaver daughters are employed there. In 2012, after she became a born-again Christian, Sarah Weaver said that she forgives the federal agents who killed her mother and brother. Randy Weaver died on May 11, 2022, at the age of 74. American domestic terrorists Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols claimed that their desire for revenge for the federal government's poor handling of the Ruby Ridge and Waco sieges motivated them to perpetrate the Oklahoma City bombing. Constipation is a common condition that affects people of all ages. It can mean that you're not passing stools regularly, or you're unable to completely empty your bowels. Constipation can have causes that aren't due to underlying diseases, such as dehydration, lack of dietary fiber, physical inactivity, or medication side effects. Constipation can also cause your stools to be hard and lumpy, as well as unusually large or small.
For relief, there is a myriad of over-the-counter products, pills, suppositories, laxative mixtures, so on and so forth. But now, from Germany, comes the only instant relief product, Far From Poopin'. Far From Poopin's unique formula allows for almost instant reaction, and it's got different flavors, cherry, grape, or peach. So why suffer in silence now when there's no reason? Pick up Far From Poopin' today, and let's get the old train moving again. Far From Poopin' warns, do not use product before bedtime. Make sure to be sitting on the commode when first using this product, as you do not know how your body will react. Possible side effects include tremors, headache, genital swelling, sleep paralysis, and seizures. Any claims of time travel is purely fictitious and should not be believed as these claims are only for entertainment purposes. Plus, honestly, if you believe these claims, we only have one thing to say. What the hell is wrong with you? All right. I really hope you guys enjoyed that. And thanks for sticking around. And I know you guys uh, probably have already heard this, but with my health issues that I'm going through, I certainly do appreciate all of the emails and the warm wishes and the prayers that are going out there for me. However, I'm going to keep plunking along. So I really want to thank you. We'll see you again next week. This has been Generation Extraordinary. The views and opinions are mine and mine alone. Any claims of time travel is purely fictitious. The music and audio clips are not mine, and in most cases were downloaded through my paid YouTube subscription are only used for entertainment purposes. GXO is a production of Popeye Enterprises. Its host, creator, producer, and editor is Robert Pop. Co-producer, Harley Quinn Pop. Special guest voice actress, Ariel Pop. For more information, support, or to contact us, go to the website, www.genxord.com. Thanks for listening.